You all know that I try to keep myself honest by staying with the triennial division um, and reading one-third of each Parsha every year. And I have to say that I couldn't do it this year. I mean, this week. I just couldn't do it. Chapter 18 of the Book of Numbers, there was nothing I could do. Nothing. What about to save it. What about comes the revolution? Who put you in charge? <laughs> Mickey, funny that you should go there. So, I mean, you're, you're welcome to look at chapter 18 and see what you can do with it. Um, but really, it's about the wave offering and the heave offering and which parts the priests get of what offering. And I just couldn't do it. So... We're going to go to uh, the meat of our story that Mickey so beautifully just brought us into, who made me chief that I could decide not to do the triennial division. That's exactly what we're dealing with in this week's Parsha and Parsha Korach. Um, we're dealing with the challenge to the authority of Moshe and Aharon. Um, and so let's go ahead and look uh, at the story itself, um, which is chapter 16 of the book of Numbers. A blessing. And we will start our study with the bracha. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav v'tivanu la'asot b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, God, spirit of the universe, who makes us holy with your mitzvot and calls us to engage ourselves with words of Torah. So we are looking at a challenge, as I said, to Moshe and Aharon. We have two traditions uh, represented here. There are two different stories that are grafted together, the seams of which are still, thank you, Mariana, are still fairly apparent. Um, so we have two different challenges, one to Moshe and one to uh, Aharon. And so you'll see as we read the text um, that there are different parties involved and the scenes switch back and forth. Um, and so it's, it's clear that we have two different stories put together, but they're linked in that they are each a challenge to the authority um, of those appointed, in our case, in our story, by God. All right, so let, let's, let's look at what's going on here. Somebody want to start at 16? One? That's on page uh, 895? Yeah. Yes. In the, in the red book, 860. Uh, now Korach, is that what? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now Korach, son of Ishar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, betook himself along with Dathan and Ab Abiram, son mm -hmm. of Eliab, and on son of Pelah, descendants of Reuben, to rise up against Moses, together with 250 representatives of the Israelites, chieftains of the community chosen in the assembly with fine reputations. They combined against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you've gone too far, for all the community are holy, all of them, and Adonai is in their midst. Why then do you raise yourself above Adonai's congregation? Go on. 
When Moses heard this, he fell on his face. Then he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Come morning, Adonai will make known who is uh, God's and who is holy, and will grant him direct access. The one whom God has chosen will be granted access. Do this, you, Korah, and all your band, take fire pans, and tomorrow put fire into them and lay incense on them before God, before Adonai. Then the candidate whom Adonai chooses, he shall be the holy one. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. Go on. Moses said further to Korah, hear me, sons of Levi. It is not enough for you that the God of Israel has set you apart from the community of Israel and given you direct access to perform the duties of Adonai's tabernacle and to minister to the community and to serve them. Now that God has advanced you and all your fellow Levites with you, do you seek the priesthood too? Truly it is against Adonai that you and all your company have banded together. For who is Aaron that you should rail against him? All right, so, so hopefully already you're getting this sense of there's a couple of things going on. Right, that there's there's different parties, there's different players. So let's go let's go back to the beginning and start parsing it a little bit. Vayikach Korach ben Yitzhar ben Kahat ben Levi. So now we're getting who is Korach? He is ben Yitzhar. He's the son of Yitzhar, who's the son of Kahat, who's the son of Levi. So Kahat is the father of Yitzhar, who is Korach's father, and the father of Amram. Who's Amram? Amram is Moses and Aaron's father. So Korach is first cousin to Moses. After Amram, after you know uh, his their father. Um, the next is Yitzhar. So Korach is in that immediate family that's given the priesthood. So Korach is not coming completely out of left field. He's a contender, right? So, so, he, so, he, so we get this whole description of who he is. Vayikach. What's Vayikach? What's Kach? To take. So Vayikach Korach ben Yitzhar ben Kahat ben Levi. So Korach and, and all of his descriptors of who he's like the, the descendant of took. Okay, well, we don't get what he took. So then we get Vidatan ve'aviram and Datan and Aviram b'nei Eliav who are like children of Eliav ve'on ben Pelet and this guy on ben Pelet b'nei Reuven um, who are all descendants of Ruvain. That's where the sentence ends. What's the problem? Vayikach what? First of all, it's in the singular. Vayikach Korach, and Korach took, and all these other guys. So why is it Vayikchu? They took, right? So it's very problematic. This Hebrew is very problematic. We don't know. Right, the rabbis spend a lot of time trying to figure out why this word is here to take something. You need a an object that goes with that verb, right? So we get nothing. 
Here it says betook themselves. <laughs> okay, first of all, that's plural. And the Hebrew singular. Oh, excuse me, it is it's, it's, it betook himself, yes. Betook? Korach took, betook himself. Okay, because what else are you going to do with this? What else are you going to do with he took and then he doesn't, have any, he doesn't take anything? All they can do is say, he took himself. Okay, well, what does that mean? He took himself. What? Right? All right. So we're going to see in a little bit what the rabbis do with that. But now we get a plural. Vayakumu lifne Moshe. And they rose up against Moshe. Right? So one of the rabbis I was learning from yesterday when we had our board of rabbis meeting, some of somebody's assigned to give the Devar Torah. And this rabbi, Rabbi Feinstein, gave the Devar Torah and he said, so... We've read this story for how many years, all of us? Vayikach Korach and Korach Tuk and, and all these other guys. And he said, but it's, but it's the singular and it's only Korach who speaks. Who are these other guys? Right? There had to be an email conversation. <laughs> there had to have been a salon meeting, a parlor meeting before this. Right? So, you know, what, what are these guys doing here and then they don't speak? They're backup. They're backup. Yeah. Giving him support. They're giving him support. Support to his argument. So they're people who are hanging around the complainer because they like to, right, kind of be part of the... They're the committee. They're the committee. They're people who like to kind of hang around the pot stirrer, right, to kind of lend support to whatever's going to happen. But clearly they're not real players. All right. By Moshe, they rise up against Moshe. So who else are we getting? Who's going to challenge Moshe? Two hundred and fifty Israelites, and we're told that they're machers. Right? These are not schleppers. These are important people. These are chieftains. These are nisiim. These are officers. Right? They're they're the elect of the community. With fine reputations. With fine reputations. Reuben points out from our commentary. Anshe um, shame. That's where that comes from, right? Men of name. Men of repute. Right? So they have reputations. All right. They've been elected by the people, right? These are people who have authority within their, their groups. What happens? Vayikalu al Moshe and Vayikalu al Moshe. What's kahal? Community. Community. Kehilat Yisrael. Right. That's who we are. So they communify al Moshe against Moshe. The al Aharon, and now we get Aaron added. So now it's Moshe and Aaron. Vayomru, what is their charge? What, what do they say to Moshe and Aaron? You've gone too far. Rav lachem. So what's Rav? Big, great, wide, abundant, right? Too abundant to y'all. Y'all have taken too much. You, you know, right? You've gotten too broad. You've gotten too... Big for your britches. You've gotten too big for your britches. Moshe and Aharon. Rav lachem. It's enough. It's too much what you've, what you've done or what you've taken to yourselves. Kichol ha'eda kulam kedoshim. 
for all of the Eidah, all of the community, all of them are Kedoshim, are holy. Uvatocham Yurhevavhe. And in their midst is Yurhevavhe. Umaduatit Nasu al Kahal Yurhevavhe. So, why do y'all lift yourselves up over the Kahal of Yurhevavhe? What is the charge? Susan? I don't understand it. Right. What, what, are, what are they charging? Well, they, they, they're special. They're special, right. yeah, and they're rising upon... They're, they're the ones who are dictating what's going to happen and what they should be doing, and these are cases, what it is. And they're saying, well, we should... We're all holy. We're all a part of this community. That's right. And um, we should... We should be able to do the same, I guess. I don't, I don't know what they want. Right. What preceded really. this? Because they have a, they, I think the community has a point that seems consistent with everything we always say, that everyone has, everyone's holy in Judaism. So what preceded this? Did Moses and Aaron just do something that made them feel like now you're getting a little bit... Too yeah. big? Yeah. So it's interesting why this is placed here, right? So what happened before this, right, is a good is a good question. What prompts this? We don't in the text get a prompt. So some scholars say we just last week had the commandment about tzitzit that all of the people are to wear tzitzit. We talked about tzitzit being the mixture of, right, some things that only the priests generally wear and the petil techelet, the the Blue thread is that blue that the priest wears. So if you just finish saying to us, wear these tzitzit, you Israelites, because you're all children of the king, you're all priests, then how come it is Aaron, because really if we're talking about Kedushah, we're not talking about Moses, right? Kedushah, if we're talking about holiness, we're really talking about the role of Aaron, the priest. So it seems that the attack is really about Aaron in this case. And Moshe's bracketed with him because he made him high priest and he's, right, his brother. And he's, you know, he's the one who invested Aaron with that authority, that role. Um, of course, in our story, it's according to God's will. But in any case. But it seems that the charge is against Aaron. Um, and that Moses, too, is, is presuming something about holiness because he officiates at these things, like at the consecration of Aaron and his brothers, right? So he, too, officiates in certain ways as a priest. But it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to say, why do they get to be the priest and not me if everybody's holy? Right? Like... Well, I'm, I'm confused because if there's a problem, they all go running to Moses and Aaron and say, here's the problem, you go fix it. And so are we further generations in? And no. So it when seems... When things are bad, they're the leaders, but when things are good... Mm-hmm. So this is an important point about leadership, yeah. right? And about what it means to be involved with a community. Exactly. When things are going bad... They whine and cry to Moshe, mm-hmm. and with Aaron you know, interceding at, at some points. Um, but when things are going okay... We can all do it. 
oh, excuse me, how come you're in charge? Like, why do you get the nice tent? Right? So certainly the rabbis use this as the paradigmatic exploration of leadership and the costs of leadership and what are the proper ways to challenge leadership and challenge authority. So they turn, because of what happens to Korach and his followers, which is not good, right? It's not pretty. The rabbis have to understand Torah as being critical. But some people raise the question, what's the problem? Korach's got a point, right? Like He's from that priestly family too. Why is Aaron the high priest, right? Like so, so, so some people read this a little more sympathetically that it's like they have a point. Why does it go so badly for them? So we'll see what the rabbis have to say about this. All right, so in either case, they, they challenge, right, this authority and they, they what they say is y'all have raised yourselves above the kahal this is where the rabbis go is that's their mistake is that rather than just say okay we need to talk because we think we have a legitimate claim what they said was y'all think y'all are so great you, you think you're above us what is the indication anywhere that Moshe or Aaron think they're better than anybody else, right? And that so the rabbis, some of the some of the rabbinic authorities point to this and say this was this is where Korach and his band are clearly showing their hand, right, as being misguided at best, um, disloyal and rebellious, and sowing the seeds of dissent for horrible purposes at worst. Is that they charge Moshe and Aaron with something that they didn't do? Lifting themselves up above the congregation. All right. In either case, Moshe hears this, and what happens? Falls on his face. <laughs> Why did Moshe fall on his face? That poor guy, last week he was ready to, you know, just kill me now, and it's like, it never ends. Right. He's depressed, and now he just falls on his face. So good, Pam, that you remember what happened last week, right? Moshe just reached his limit last week, didn't he? He, he, just, he just had it, and he had a total meltdown, yeah. right? And said to God, if this is how it's going to go, dealing with this people, just kill me. If you love me, kill me, right? Shoot me now, because I cannot do this. And here they are, right? Here they are again, 250 leaders, that would be like the board of directors of the synagogue, right? Like, what are you supposed to do with that? See, thank you. <laughs> it's all good, right? It's all good. Um, so Moshe hears this. Either he's just completely, completely flattened, literally, by it. He just can't, he really can't do this. Um, what's another explanation? One is that he's just had it, he's exhausted, he's depressed, he can't deal, and he kind of just goes to the floor. What's another possibility? Well, he, he's well, supplicating himself to He's them. supplicating himself to them? How come? To show that they have status also, and, and that he is equal to them. So you're wrong about me. I don't think I'm all that. And he goes to the floor in obeisance to say, I honor and recognize that you're leaders of the community. I'm not, I don't think I'm all that special. You're wrong about me. 
What else? A sign of humility. Out of humility. Okay. Any other possibilities? Well, he usually does that when he's talking to God. He usually goes to his face or does something like that when he's talking to God about what? Well, that he needs help. He needs help with this people. What Moshe goes to his face before God when God is about to wipe out the people. Possibly Moshe knows that God has had it. Right? I mean, that this people now is like skating on the thinnest ice and Moshe ever the humble servant, ever the real leader, proving how wrong they are, falls on his face before God. Because he knows that God is going to be not happy. Right? And so he's propitiating God not to wipe these people out. And this is the evidence about how wrong they are about Moshe. All right. Well, he, um, yes, well, Ruben. His next move is to tell the people, uh, being, being very directive, as though he had heard from God himself. I mean, where does he, how does he come to say, come morning, um, this is going to happen, and so on? So many scholars agree with you and say Moshe and Aharon already went into the tabernacle to get an answer about this. And that's why he falls on his face. He's waiting for God's answer. He's in the receptive position of waiting for the oracle from God that's going to tell him what the heck he's supposed to do. 250 people is a lot of people coming at you with a ringleader challenging your authority. Some say Moshe's afraid for his life at this point. He's afraid they're coming and their intent is going to be bodily harm, right? That, that he's done. Um, and that he's actually, you know, falling on his face in obeisance saying, don't kill me or my brother. That he, what else are you going to do? You know, when you're being attacked, you go to a submissive you know, position that says, okay, okay, like I'm not... Um, others say he's gone into the Mishkan and he's waiting for the divine response because what comes next are very specific instructions. What, did he just make that up? Right? So he says to Korach, what does he say? And, and to all of his Adah, all of his group, right? Come morning, we'll know, right? Like, God's going to make known who is God's and the one who is holy will be brought close to God. He creeds a lot. The he feel form of karov, of close. Right? He creeds. So what other word is made from this shoresh? Korban. Korban, which is? Uh, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Hence, some people's reading of the incident with Nadav and Avihu. Right? When Nadav and Avihu get incinerated, this is where some scholars draw the conclusion that they were being brought close to God and were, right? That they were a korban, that they, they in fact got really close, super close, so close that they went supernova. So God is going to make known tomorrow who is Kadosh, 
And the one who is Kadosh will be brought close to God, right? And the one that God chooses will be brought close to God. We don't know what that means, but somehow it's going to be made clear. Zot asu. This is what you're going to do, says Moshe. You're going to take your incense offering fire pans, right? And you're going to, and he's talking to Korach, and he says, y'all, Korach and your whole band, you're going to take your machtot, and put in them fire, meaning hot coals that are burning, and put on it the incense offering before God tomorrow, machar, right? And the one that God will choose, that one is the one who was holy. That is the one who was set aside, right? Holy is a bad word here for us to use because it makes it sound like special, you know, like, and that, because the charge is, y'all think you're all that. Right? Kadosh doesn't mean all that. Kadosh means set aside for service. But God gets to choose who God wants set aside for God's service. So Moshe's making it clear. God will decide who is Kadosh, who is set aside. Rav Lachem B'nai Levi. Right? You can totally see Moshe snapping. Rav Lanu? We've taken on too much. Rav Lachem, B'nai Levi. Y'all have gotten too big for y'all's britches. Huh. We're going to rumble. We're going to totally rumble, right? <laughs> you charge us with Rav Lachem? Rav Lachem! <laughs> so, Vayomer Moshe el Korach. So, Moshe says further to Korach, Simuna, B'nai Levi. Listen up. Right? Sorry, Shimu. From Shema, right? Shimuna, B'nai Levi, listen up, you descendants of Levi. Is it not enough for you that God has set you aside, right? Has set you aside, has, has made you kadosh from the community of Israel and given you access to God's self to perform the duties of the Mishkan and to minister to the community and to serve them? Meaning you already have status and position. You already have been set aside by God to serve God. The rest of the tribes are just schlepping through the desert. Y'all are in charge of the Mishkan and all of the Sancta. Now that God has advanced you, right, from among your fellow Levites and your fellow Levites with you, now you want to be Kohanim also? You want to be priests also? They all y'all have banded together here? Who is Aaron that you should, and here's the question, what does this word mean? Talinu, right? What is? Here it says rail. Who is Aaron that you should rail against him? All right. So clearly, Moshe understands the challenge is to Aaron, being high priest. Right? That, that, that that's what's really going on is that Korach and his band think they should be priests. They, and their first cousins, they're related. Their dad was a child of, right? There's no reason for them not to maybe make that claim. But Moshe clearly is 
not happy with the charge against Aaron. That is one story. That is one episode. That is one scene. That is one thing that's going on. Overlaid onto that is the next scene that we're getting here. All right, so somebody read at 12. Moses sent for Edward G. Robinson. Dathan in the movie. Dathan. Right. Dathan. We will not come. <laughs> There's not enough that you brought us from the land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness. That you would also absorb Lord it over us. Even if you had brought us to a land flowing with milk and honey and given us possession of fields and vineyards, should you gouge out those men's eyes? We will not come. Moses was much aggrieved, and he said to Yehovah, pay no attention to their oblation. I have not taken the ass of any, of, any one of them, nor have I wronged any one of them. All right, this is another episode that gets grafted onto this story. What's going on in this episode? They're accusing Moses. <clears throat> Who's accusing Moses? The son of... Uh, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab. Yes, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, rise up against Moshe. What are they accusing Moshe of? They brought him to this, of, of taking them to a bad, a bad land, going through the wilderness, and then and lording it over us. If they brought us, he brought us from a land flowing with milk and honey? That was Egypt? Yeah, and now it's a land with milk and honey. How do you think that's going to go over? Wow. How do you think that's going to go over? The same language used about the land that they are going to, the promised land, they're using about... The way they're the slaves. Egypt? How do you think that's going to go over, right? Talk about ingratitude, right? The land in which we were enslaved was Eretz Vat Chalav Udvash. Really? Really? So... But isn't the complaint the same? So you're lording it over us. All right, so clearly this is part of their charge, right? It's the same in terms of you think you're all that, Right? So we don't know exactly what they're charging, but the word seems to suggest the, um, the heat pa'el, the, reflect, the reflexive verb that's about pretending to be a lord or a master. So you're acting like you're our master or something. It's interesting that the redactor chose to put these together because it seems like there are, they're almost siding with Korach by saying, look, he's not the only one who has a complaint about Moses. There's other, there's other people that are, that are complaining. So clearly this is, for the redactor, it makes sense, yeah. right? Wait, we have another story about, right? And so let's put these together if we're going to talk about challenge to authority, right? There's many levels of that happening here, exactly. So they are definitely linked by this thing of um, who do y'all think you are, essentially, Um so Moshe has sent for them. They refuse to come. Moshe is not happy. Vayichar lemoshe me'od. Right? This is about flaring nostrils. Right? Vayichar af. When your nostrils 
flare, when God's nostrils flare, right? Get out of the way. Vayichar Moshe, the word that then comes from that is to, to become angry. Me'od. Moshe is very angry that they refuse to come and turns to God. And what does Moshe say to God? I didn't do what they said. What did they say he did? Well, apparently we get a different story here. He Aha. jumps over whatever they said. And what does he say? That he's stolen some, their ass. Lo chamor echad mehem nasati. I've not taken one donkey from them, nor have I done evil to any one of them. So something's missing from our version. Clearly there's a tradition that what is Moshe being accused of? Moshe understands is that he's been accused of misappropriation of funds. That he's had his hand in the rabbi's discretionary fund using it to fund a trip to Hawaii. Not that that would ever happen. Um, (laughs) Mickey. So, right, he, he clearly feels, and we don't have the text here where that happens, but Moshe understands that he's being accused of corruption. Right? Not that he has no right to his position, but that he has misused or abused his position by taking things that don't belong to him. Hmm. So this is the third story. So there's actually, you're right, there's four narratives, two major ones, two major rebellions, but there's, yes, there, there are four little narratives going on. Exactly. So how, what three do you count so far, Susan? Uh, well, I count the one we just talked about, the, that he didn't misappropriate funds. Right. Um, that he took them out of a land of milk and honey into this desert land. And the other one is that he was just too big for his britches. Okay, so, so three complaints against Moshe. Yeah, right. Okay. There's, I'm not advocating this point of view, but it, it reminds me of when Moses is being accused of one thing and then he goes beyond and says, I didn't do, I didn't take things. It kind of reminds you of catching somebody who's guilty of something. Mm-hmm. You know, when you say, <laughs> I didn't say you some, took a is donkey. Is something you need to tell me? <laughs> I didn't steal that donkey. You know, really? I didn't know anything about a donkey, but now that you mention it, where's the donkey? Who would donkey? Now that you mention it, you have a donkey? I mean, there's sort of, one could argue there's a guilty mind there. I'm not saying that that's the case, but more likely something's missing from the story. Right, and clearly Moshe feels defensive. Yes. Right, maybe he does have a donkey schlepping his personal (laughs) stuff, but maybe it's a business expense. Right? You know, like, so in other words, right. what you're saying is, you know, they don't know maybe even the specifics, but Moshe knows what they are looking, or what people are what whispering about, about, right? <laughs> about that donkey business. <laughs> right? Okay. Um, so in that, in that respect, it's kind of smart of Datan and Aviram to push him. Right? In terms of he just disclosed, you know. I mean, maybe I'm just being suspicious, but you know, if that twenty is missing from your wallet, you I might. did not take that BMW. <laughs> right, it wasn't me. <laughs> All right, so let's go on. To someone read it. Did we read sixteen? Uh, no. Rabbi, is this something? 
just a nit, but the um, Parsha starts with Korach and the others talking to Moses. So, Korach! And the others, uh, you know, betook uh, himself along with Datham and... Uh, no. no! Oh, oh, right, right, right. A- a- right. So Datham and Aviram and On, uh, son of Pellet. Yeah. Right? Right. So, no, exactly, right. So I guess the redactors had some problems here. Because yes. Now we're saying... He asked for them to come, but it was already, they were already there. So, so good. Know. Good close reading, Reuben, that yeah. you see how, how it's, it's messy. And, um, and, it, and, and the redactor is not interested, curiously, for us as modern readers. We go, uh, hello, did you not know that you just left them over here and now we're saying they're over here? Right? So clearly the redactor is not interested in harmonizing these stories. Right, the the redactor is taking stories that are important to different elements of early Israel, and putting them in the national history so that everyone will buy this book. The redactor is not interested in making it one story. The redactor is interested in making sure that everybody's traditions about rebellion. We're going to link. Oh, they have a story about rebellion. Then they have one about rebellion. We're going to put those here. This is a good place for those. And put them here next to each other so that everybody buys this as the new national history. Right? Because this is being written as the national history book for the formation of this people, Israel. And the next line is back to Korah. Next line is back, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Right? Someone read at 16. And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company appear before Adonai, you and they and Aaron. And each of you take his firepan and lay incense on it, and each of you bring his firepan before Adonai, 250 firepans. You and Aaron also bring your firepans. Each of them took his firepan, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and took his place at the entrance of the tent of meeting, as did Moses and Aaron. Korah gathered the whole community against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then the presence of Adonai appeared to the whole community, and Adonai spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Stand back from this community that I may annihilate them in an instant. But they fell on their faces and said, O God, source of the breath of all flesh, when one member sins, will you be wrathful with the whole community? Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the community and say, Withdraw from about the abodes of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, the elders of Israel, following him. He addressed the community, saying, Move away from the tents of these wicked fellows, and touch nothing that belongs to them, lest you be wiped out for all their sins. So they withdrew from about the abodes of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. All right, finish it out. Now Dathan and Abiram had come out, and they stood at the entrance of their tents, with their wives, their children, and their little ones. And Moses said, By this you shall know that it was Adonai who sent me to do all these things, that they are not of my own devising. If these people's death is that of all humankind, if their lot is humankind's common fate, it was not Adonai who sent me. But if Adonai brings about something unheard of, so that the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, you shall know that these fellows have spurned Adonai. Scarcely had he finished speaking all these words 
when the ground under them burst asunder, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their household, <clears throat> all Korach's people and all their possessions. They went down alive into Sheol with all that belonged to them. The earth closed over them, and they vanished from the midst of their congregation. All Israel around them fled at their shrieks, for they said, the earth might swallow us. And a fire went forth from Adonai and consumed the 250 representatives offering the incense. Okay. Uh, right? You had a problem reading 18. <laughs> <laughs> Just because it was boring. <laughs> not, not because it was offensive. This. Right. Make sure they say their wives and their yeah. children right. and their little ones. Right, right. This is really, right? This is just distressing. All right. So wow. Moshe says to Korach, so tomorrow you and all your Adah are going to appear before God. And, right, Aaron. And each of you is going to lay incense on your fire pan. And each of you is going to come before God. Verse 17. Right? 250 fire pans. That's a lot of equipment, right? Each of them did that, so we're, we're out the next day. They laid their incense on it. They took their place at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So did Moshe and Aharon. Korach gathered the whole community against them at the tent of meeting. This is getting very scary for Moshe and Aharon, right? The, the whole community now has turned Right? Pretty much, they're all there to watch. Maybe not all of them are against Moshe and Aaron, but it's, it's getting, the, the stakes are really high. And it's groupthink. And it's groupthink. And what happens with groupthink? It gets ugly. It gets, with the leader. it gets really ugly. People stop thinking. And, right, the, the mob mentality takes over, which is extraordinarily dangerous. Yeah. So then what happens? We get um, the kavod, right? The presence of yud heh vav -Hey appears. Remember the presence of God? The God's kavod is always this kind of visual disruption, right? This, this visual intensification, right, of God's presence. I think about like, you know, when you're standing in front of a car's exhaust pipe and things shimmer. It's like you can't see the fumes you see what the fumes do to your visual field, right? That, that's how I think of God's kavod. Like it, it warps the visual field, you know, in some way. And, and God speaks to Moshe and Aaron saying, Get away. Stand back. Stand back. Separate yourselves. To differentiate, right? To make a distinction differentiate yourself, separate yourselves from them, get away from them, but not separate like kadosh, right? meaning just get part from them, get away from them. Why? So annihilate them. I'm going to eat them in a second. I'm going to consume them. The earth swallows them. Ha, 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 ha. Right? But they fell on their faces. Moshe and Aharon, even now, even at this moment, what do they do? They're like, God, 
God, right? And and they call God Eloheha Ruchot Lechol Basar. God, the Ruach, the Spirit in every flesh, in every person. If one sins, will you wipe out the whole community? Even now, they're praying for the people who are rising up against them with pitchforks. Here's the proof of Moshe and Aharon's authority for the rabbis. Even now, they love this people enough, right, to beg for their deliverance. And God says to Moshe, what? Daber el ha'edah. Speak to this edah, saying, get away from the abodes of Korach, Datam, and Aviram. Get away from the ringleaders and get away from their space. So Moshe rose and went to Datan and Aviram, the elders of Israel, right? Following behind him, right? And he addressed the Adah saying, move away from the tents of these evil people and touch nothing that belongs to them, right? Everything that belongs to them is now taboo, right? It's cherem, it's taboo, you can't touch it. Lest you be implicated as being one of them, right? As being part of this. Who were these elders? That is a very good question. Maybe it's the 70 elders that we've seen before. They were not part, they are not obviously part of this group of the community that's rising up against them. They just, the, the community leaders that were part of that group. So, a different set of. So, this is where some people say clearly this is a variant tradition. Because the elders here are not involved with Datan and Aviram, right? That's how we know this is a different story than the other story that has the leadership supporting Korach. Yes? All right. And can I just ask, um, and one sentence he's uh, going to bat for the people, and the very next he's saying get away from these evil people. Well, meaning, I think what he's saying is, they're the ringleaders. You're going to punish everybody, right? And meaning the rest of the folks who kind of got swept up in it. I think he's okay with, <laughs> maybe, with Korach, Tachan, and Avirah. But maybe not. But it seems like he's saying to the, get everyone else get away, because these guys, they're going down. Literally. He's forgiving the mob. Right. It wasn't their idea. They just went along with it kind of thing. Right? So people withdrew from around the abodes of Korach, Datan, and Aviram. Right? Now we get Datan and Aviram coming out and standing at the entrance of their tents with all of their people, all of their family. And Moshe says, by this you will know. Right? How, what will you know? That all of these things were not of my heart. What is the heart in biblical Hebrew about? Kilomilibi. It's not from my heart. The heart is the seat of thought. The seat of thought. So all of these things, all these decisions are not mine. All the things I've been saying to you, right? All the instructions I've been giving you. Here's how you'll know I didn't make it up. How? How will you know? Right? If these people... Where am I? 
Sorry. If these people's death. Thank you. If these people die, like everybody else, right? Then it wasn't God who sent me. But im bria yivra Adonai. But if God creates a creation, ufatsta ha'adama et piha, and the earth spreads open its mouth, uvla'aotam, and swallows them, and everything with them, and they go down living to Sheol, then y'all will know, <laughs> right? What <laughs> then you'll know that these folks are working against, so there's, there, in my text says spurning, right? Yudhefafe. All right, well, what is Sheol? Sheol is the realm of the dead. This is the place, this is the underworld. Hades. Hades, yes. Exactly. My, the first time I'm here, I didn't know that Jews even believed in a Sheol. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the rabbis later used the term Gehinom for Sheol. Gehenna. Right? For Sheol. Um, clearly, it is a heritage of pre Israelite mythology, this Sheol business, right? Um, and. And that mythology would have had death, mavet. In Ugaritic, it was mot, also, right, one of the words for death, um, was a god in that system. Sheol would have been the realm of the god mot, the god, right, death. Um, is this word used anywhere else in the Torah? Is. It is in Isaiah, in Habakkuk, and in Proverbs. Well, you were waiting for that question. <laughs> uh -huh. I'm I did prepare. <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, it's... So it, not in the Torah, in the... In the, in the, in the Tanakh. Yeah, in the it opens its yeah. mouth to receive the dead. And I believe the witch of Endor might be described as coming up from Sheol. Maybe not. You know, when they, when they raise her to talk to her? As a witch? Yeah. They raise her from the dead to talk to her? Samuel, Saul sends Samuel to raise the witch of Endor from the dead to talk to her about something. Yeah. Um, so that's in Samuel, I take it. Yeah, or, yeah, I think, or in Kings. Um, so, it, you know, it's possible, so this is clearly left over from the pagan pre-Israelite days, right, in history. We don't get a lot of references to this um, in other places, but, you know, lo hameti mi hallelujah velokol your deduma, right? So the dead, the dead can't, help me stay alive, oh God, because the dead can't praise you. The ones who have gone down, nor can the ones who have gone down, lo velokol your deduma, and nor can the ones who have gone down, right? You know, so, so there's this imagery in Old Hebrew of Sheol, of going down to Sheol. They go alive. So most people, presumably, go dead into Sheol. 
or maybe they're living there now. And maybe they're living there now. This is so perplexing. I mean, Nahun? where does all this stuff come from? Jews don't believe in hell. So, <laughs> right. So, clearly, it does not get carried forward into Israelite religion as an understanding of... But it's in the Torah. But it is, is not developed. And, and down, Sheol doesn't seem to mean hell. It doesn't mean... Devil and fire. No, that is, that is not what it means. It's more like Hades. It's more like the realm of the god Mot. That's where you go. You go to live after you die in the realm of the underworld. It doesn't seem to be a punishment. Yeah. It seems to be just what happens. It doesn't, it doesn't seem, like seem to be very good. Place, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not good because it's not here. Right. It's, but it's but not, you can't be there here. Either. There isn't an up there. Huh? There isn't an up there. We talked about the up there last time. Someone else talked about that. I did not talk about that. The Torah did not talk about that. Olam, what's it called? Olam Haba is rabbinic. That is rabbinic. That is not biblical. There is no talking about Olam Haba in the Bible. What we have are remnants of pre-Israelite whatever, which is clearly the Sheol underworld business, and some indication that something, the punishment karate that we talked about last week, might mean something about the soul and what happens, and but there's no discussion of an afterlife in the Torah. Oh yeah, I have a question. When when Moshe doesn't die and he, or or he doesn't, who who is it? It's not Moshe. So Elijah. He, yeah, Elijah. He goes up, still alive. He goes up to somewhere. Where did he go? It doesn't say. Doesn't say. What story? Kind of into the sky. But it's we don't have any indication or discussion of what or where. No idea. So, I'm not saying there's not intimations that there's an awareness that maybe there's something after, because Sheol already is about something after death. So I'm not saying that there's no awareness that there might be something after, but we don't get heaven. We don't get olam haba. That's the rabbis. I'm not saying that there isn't some, you know, that they had, they had a belief, maybe, but we don't have any written discussion of it in Torah. Only Sheol. All right. I mean, we, could, we should look up the Elijah quote and see exactly what the what language is. Yeah. is. Where, does he go? Where Right, what, what is said. Yeah. But I don't remember. It's, that, is the, that is the origin of a lot of the mysticism. The earliest mysticism we have is chariot mysticism, right? Maase Amerikava, the chariot literature. That is the earliest... Um, Kabbalistic stuff we have is the chariot. The chariot that... So, and that's why you can leave so the cup for him because he's still Roman. alive. Hmm? You know, that we leave the cup for Elijah because he's alive and might... Well, he, and he's coming back. Okay, because he's still alive. What, right, but he, why is he coming back? Why do we care about Elijah? He's going to announce that Mashiach has come. So we're, we don't care about Elijah. Oh, I, <laughs> I can't wait, wait for lightning to come. Um, 
thought he was looking for the comment. Right. No, no, no. That's this, is, this is how that happens. This is how it happens. Okay, so, um, we're, we're, we care about Elijah because it indicates, it points to the fact that Mashiach has arrived. That's what we care about, is Mashiach is here. Because that means, whew, like all this nonsense is going to stop. And God's reign is going to be on earth, and everything's going to be okay. Right? So that's why everyone's wanting Elijah. How did, how did it be go? Okay, so... We were talking about Sheol. Exactly. Sure. So they went down alive into Sheol with all that belonged to them. The earth closed over them and they vanished from the midst of the congregation. What's interesting is it says all of Korach's people. It does not say, the rabbis point out, it does not say Korach. Mm. So, you know, the movie where the end of the movie is that the the villain gets away. So you know there's going to be a sequel. <laughs> Korach 2, the return of Korach. The wrath of Korach. Korach returns. Like that. There are some who say, you know, Korach lives to see another rebellion. Right? Korach instigates stuff later. Because um, it doesn't exactly say, it probably means he, of course, went with them. But, um, but it doesn't say that exactly. Then a fire goes forth from God and consumes the 250 people who are offering the incense. So what you might miss if you don't look at the Hebrew, right? Datan and Abiram refused to go up to meet Moshe. So what happens to them? They wouldn't go up to meet Moshe, so they go down. God sends them. You're not going to come up? No problem. You can go down. Right? All the way down. Um, I was confused. To me, it sounds like the 250 people were were the same people who Moshe said, get away. This is where it gets messy. This is like the other story. This is where they they all mix together. Because it's like, well, if they got away, why are they... Right? So this is where the two are kind of conflated, and it doesn't work so well for us. So maybe everybody still ended up getting... Well, so I the it was, shard. It was the whole community that, that came. So possibly the followers who are not involved in the firepan business got away, right. oh, while the two hundred fifty firepan people get consumed. So again, in the Hebrew, you brought us up from Egypt to have what happen? To have us die in the wilderness. So what? What's the punishment? You're gonna die in the wilderness. Uh. Uh-uh. You brought us up from this land flowing with milk and honey for us to die in the wilderness. So the punishment is you won't die. Not only are you not going to die, you're going down alive to Sheol. You complained that I, I brought you out here to kill you in the wilderness? Oh, you are so going down and you're going down alive. Yikes. Yeah. So... Right In the Hebrew, you get this sense of what they complained about. They get their just desserts, according to the text. Not only is it not that, or you, you were worried about dying out here, no problem. You're not going to die. You're going to go alive to Sheol. You were worried about, I mean, you wouldn't go up to Moshe, then you're going down. Right? So it's, it's this lovely, lovely, it's this interesting parallel in the Hebrew that's very dramatic and very... Um, kind of deserving, right? They're going to deserve, in a way, what they get. 
So there's a commentary here. I don't know what you take about it about the why the children are punished along. Yeah. And we say before you want to tell me? children don't you know shouldn't have shouldn't be held responsible for what their parents' actions are. Yeah. And this one says that it's because well it was it was um, that only applies to laws that don't concern sacred items or places. So. This, uh, when there has been a violation of ritual law, anyone who comes into contact with the source of the offense is tainted by it, even to the third and fourth generations. So that was why the children were uh, swallowed up as well. That you destroy everything when you make a hash of things. You destroy it for your children as well. And this is right. This is where the tradition goes. Is that when we really mess it up? We mess it up for our children. We, you know, you don't destroy a society just for you. If you destroy the society, then it destroys it for the children as well. There's, there's no way around that. Um, and clearly, the implication is that, that it's so bad that it, that it, it destroys... So as everything. To God punishing the children, it was the which the, which made the rabbis as uncomfortable yeah. as it makes us, right? They they didn't they couldn't stand that, right? Um, all right, so let's look at our sheets that I just gave you. Normally, I give you something like Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who of course has amazing things to say about Korach. But I decided to give you something a little more traditional this week. Vayikach Korach. And Korach took. What did he take? Rashi says he took himself. Top left corner of Korach sheet number one. Yes? Yeah, now, took Korach. now took Korach. Now took Korach. Even though Korach had a bunch of good qualities, even though Korach had a bunch of good qualities, he had good connections. Talmud Chacham, he was a, a smart guy. He was a Talmud Chacham, he was a Talmud scholar. Ashir Upikeach, he was rich and he was uh, someone who had blossomed, whatever, however you'd say that in English, right? Someone who was, who had flourished. And even so far as to say, maybe he was deserving to be a leader in Israel. Then why wasn't he given the position? Key because quote Vayikach Korach. Korach took what did he take? Lakach etatzmo. He took himself. Hulokintin adshiaviulo ateret hamanigut. He didn't wait until they brought to him the crown of leadership, Ella, but rather lakhabachosek yad. He took it with force. We took it by force. Belachen lozachala, and so. That was proof that he didn't merit it. Unless you're a reluctant leader, you really don't belong in leadership. If you're hungry for that position, if you're hungry to be president, you probably don't deserve it. You probably aren't somebody who needs to be president. Which means every president, is, other than maybe George Washington, we're told, right? Right? He hasn't deserved it. So if you're too hungry for it that you you know, are grabbing for it, you already are displaying the number one weakness that disqualifies you, essentially, for leadership. 
No matter what else you got going on, if you're greedy for it, then it's about the position and it's not about service. In Jewish tradition, leadership is about avodah. It's about service. Well, you can interpret it also to mean that he, uh, that he, if he had waited for the congregation to elect him, it would have been okay. Yes. Uh, As opposed to it. You, when, when it says here, um, uh, uh, let's see. Had he waited well, for them it, to bring him the crown of leadership. But, but what we're saying is, um, if he was made a leader rather than him uh, uh, inserting himself. But to be made a leader is by whom? It's by the, the people. So that, that could be, a, a, mm -hmm. I, I think, a nicer interpretation. I mean, to be elected, still, you're, you're still being given it by the people. All right. Korach, and Korach took Parsha zu Yafeni Dreshet says Rashi. This is a lovely Parsha to to drash on. Because in general, what happens? Because in general, the Darshanim people who have sermons to give, people who need to sermonize, like some of us. They like to take a sentence from Parsha Tashavua. They like to take material from the Parsha of the week for their drashot, for their divrei Torah. Kol Shavua u Parsha Shiloh. Each week, it's Parsha. Right? Each week, the sermon, you take something from that week's Parsha. Aval, but Parsha Korach, our Parsha, Yafen Nidreshet Bechol Eit, is great for a sermon at all times. Why? Because there's always disputes among the Jews. <laughs> so Rashi says, this is a great parsha to make a sermon on any Shabbat. Because there's always a fight, right, going on among the Jews. And you can always use this as a teaching. All right. That's Rashi. I, um, I love this one. Vaishma Moshe. And Moshe heard, top right corner. Vayipol al panav, and Moshe fell on his face. Look what the rabbis do with this. I love this. Vaydaber al korach vekol edato, and so he speaks to Moshe, to Korach and all of his community. Lemor, saying, Boker v'yidea Adonai. Tomorrow, and God will make known. Ulechorah hayayachol Moshe leashiv zot miyad. Moshe could have answered this to to Korach immediately. Velama nafal tchila al panav. So why did he first fall on his face? Why didn't he just answer Moshe? Ach, Moshe Rabbeinu chashash, because Moshe Rabbeinu felt, he sensed, shemashu alim lo zot milimala. What if Korach was really speaking something true from heaven? The Korach, who rakshaliach, that Korach was really just an agent of heaven. Lefichach, and so, Nafal al panab lehit bonen. Moshe fell on his face first in order lehit bonen to check, to, to check out with himself what was going on. Im beemet yeshbo ezokit nasot that maybe 
there was something that Korach was saying that was actually true. Ve'le'achar b'dika medukdeket matzah she'ein bo shemet shel giv'ah. And after doing this examination, a very close examination, Moshe found that there was not, in fact, any element of pride, you know, in what or arrogance in what he was doing. And that's how he knew that Korach was not an agent of heaven. Ella Korach pligaahu that instead Korach was just arguing in order, you know, to 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 be. Contrary, ve'az heshiv maheshiv, and then that's why he an- and then he answered what he answered. I think it's interesting to compare this to Yitro, because in that one, Moshe did um, Yitro came up to him and said, "You're taking too much power," but he told him to to delegate it, and kind of you could tell that he was he was questioning Moshe's power, but not in a selfish way, in a way of like, "I'm I'm worried about you, Moshe. You're not going to be." Able he to didn't question it. Moshe's motives. Yeah. So right. It's interesting. It's not. It's a. It seems like it's, it's okay to kind of question power, but how you're doing it if you're doing it in a selfish way. So this is where I go with all the bnei mitzvah kids who get this parsha, right? When is it okay? Had people challenged the authority in Nazi Germany, things would have turned out a lot differently, right? You know. So it is not. Not only is it okay, but we're supposed to challenge authority when we have concerns, like Yitro did. But Yitro wasn't. In any way disparaging Moshe and Moshe's motives, right? Um, Yitro was trying to help by helping Moshe get the support he needed, which is very different from why do you get to be the boss and not me? Um, but I love that the rabbis here, what they do is they take Moshe as the paradigmatic, spiritually mature human being who, when he's criticized, does not act defensively. They have him falling to his face, not out of despair, not out of praying for the people. Instead, Moshe is is falling on his face to take a minute to check in and to really self-examine in order to see if Korach has a point. It's interesting to me that he felt that God was testing him. Um, you know, it's just so out of character with uh, Moses. It's really not, because he was always kind of like a reluctant leader. You remember in the beginning, who am I? And, you know, I can't talk. And, I, you know, he, was, he wasn't chomping off the bit for this job by any means. No. Let's finish one, one more from Rabbi Simcha Bunim of Shishcha. And he says... What does he say? Vaishlach Moshe likrola Datan Aviram. And Moshe sent to write Datan and Aviram to come to him. Yes? Mimne Malo Alabiude Moshe Rabbeinu Leaskin Shalom de Machane Israel. Because of what was our leader, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe our teacher, unable to be successful in creating true harmony and peace in the camp of Israel? Mimne Moshe. That Moshe didn't trouble himself to go to them. But in, um, in order to go to them, 
right? In order to speak to them words of appeasement and words that were ritsui, would have been welcome by them. Ella yashav ba'ohel. But rather, he sat in the tent, that instead, he sent for them to be brought to him while he sat in his tent. And this is against, completely against the path, the way of peace. So if one is a leader and there's trouble, I'm not supposed to sit in my office and say, all right, we'll bring Mrs. Goldberg to me and we'll talk about it and we'll see if we can fix this. Instead, I'm supposed to get up, go to the garage, get in my car and drive to Mrs. Goldberg's house and say, I understand, Ida, that there's a problem. I'm, I'm here to try to, to work it out, right? So again, the rabbis take this one little sentence and make this amazing teaching for us about how it is that we're supposed to behave, uh, and they have no trouble finding fault here with Moshe, um, and at the same time praising him. Right, the, the tradition that I love sees Moshe in, in both ways, right, and uses exactly the same story and the, sometimes the same verses to teach two directly oppositional lessons. Moshe is the paradigm of how we're supposed to behave. Why was there never peace in Israel? Because Moshe didn't behave right. Right? Like, this, this is... This is our when, your daughter, when your daughter becomes a teenager and says, who made you boss? You can tell the story of Korah. 